0: No, 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 welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Indeed, welcome to the program. I have an amazing selection of calls to share with you guys this evening. But before we get started, I just received a little package in my mailbox full of candy, stickers, some really bizarre trading cards. So thank you, Rob. Really appreciate that. As I said, I have an amazing show lined up for you guys. I've got a skinwalker, Bigfoot, a couple ghosts, perhaps some voodoo. I highly suggest you guys get comfortable, because I have a feeling this is about to get crazy. To kick things off this evening, we're going to take a trip down to Arizona. You see, there's a bar in a town called Tucson. I'll let Luna tell you about it.
1: This is Luna calling from Tucson, Arizona. This is a story from when I was in college. I worked for five years as a bartender. And at one of the places I used to bartend, there was a little dressing room for the employees. I was opening the bar. So it was just me and the general manager there in the morning. I'd set up the bar and I was going to go change. And I heard my name being called. I figured it was my manager. It was kind of annoying because I was in the middle of getting dressed and usually he doesn't need anything until we're about to open. So I, you know, quickly put on my work clothes. I go out and he's nowhere to be found. So I go back in the dressing room, you know, start doing my hair and I hear my manager call my name again. So I walk out, nowhere to be found. I'm still a little annoyed, so I go to the office. And I ask him, why do you keep calling my name? What do you need me for? I already set up my bar. And he said, I wasn't calling your name. I've been in the office the whole time. So then I walk back to the dressing room, thinking he's just messing with me, a little annoyed. When I go back there, my bag and all of the contents of my bag um, is just spread out over the entire dressing room. And there were things in very odd places. You know, my sunglasses were on top of the trash can. My shoes were on top of the lockers. You know, very, very weird. The second story is also from the same bar. When it's really busy on Friday, Saturday night, we have barbacks that help to get ice, restock, change kegs, everything like that. And I had asked the barback to please change the syrup in one of the spigots, you know, um, for soda. So I was expecting him to come. And if you've ever worked in the service industry, you know it's polite when you're walking behind someone to either say behind or touch a shoulder or something like that. And at this bar, um, there was like a metal covering that covered a drain right next to where the boxes of the syrup were. So if you're standing on that piece of metal and someone walks behind you, it would make like an indentation in the metal and you could feel it sink in and then pop back up. I'm bartending, and I hear footsteps, and I feel a hand on my back, and the metal dips down and then pops back up. I turn around to ask the bar back uh, if he had changed the syrup yet, um, and no one was there. So there's that one. Um, Another time, a waitress was approaching my well, and her hair got pulled, and I saw it get pulled. I saw it raise up into the air and yank her head back, and she quit that same day. If you know anything about Tucson and its history, you can probably figure out which haunted bar this is. I have lots of other stories, but those are the two, or the three, that freaked me out the most. All right, thank you.
0: Thanks, Luna. I'll be up front in saying I've actually never been to the town of Tucson. I've been to Flagstaff and Phoenix, a few other places. But never Tucson. I'm going to have to remedy that. So it got me wondering, what's going on in Tucson? Other other haunted locations. That's when I stumbled upon this gem. From KVOA, NBC News 4, out of Tucson. Check this out.
2: You can't explain what happened. Ghost stories are laced throughout history. A lot of times the history does deal with the hauntings. Spirits still stirring in Tucson. A lot of paranormal experiences here at La Cucina. Some of the building dates back to the 1800s. Becky McKitty can sense the paranormal and guides ghost tours. I've been tapped on the shoulder here. Scratch. Had my name being called. Okay. One ghost hunt here at La Cucina where we were in this building in particular and the radio in the way back turned on all by itself. Spirits seek her out. This door over here is the one that I was standing in front of and my shoulder got tapped and this is also the one that I heard the handle jiggle when I was standing outside as if someone was trying to come out. It's not just La Cocina. Other places in Tucson are said to be haunted. Maybe you've heard of the ghost stories at Hotel Congress.
3: The story goes that there was a woman that checked into this room. What eventually happened is that she called down to the front desk, was very distraught, and was threatening to kill herself.
2: They found her in this bathroom.
3: Locked herself in here, shot herself through the head, and the bullet went through this wall.
2: A bullet, some believe, was patched over.
3: If you look closely, you can see a, a circular kind of patch.
2: Abram Cooper works at the hotel. He remembers a couple bolting from the room at 2
3: a.m. And they were just like, no, we just we want to leave. And I was like, is there a problem? Maybe we can address it. I said, no, I just, you know, I we were asleep. I woke up in the middle of the night and I there was a woman sitting on the edge of the bed.
2: A soul never checked out of room 242. Other spirits supposedly stuck inside Midtown Mercantile, a store filled with antique and vintage objects said to be fueled by the paranormal. The whole chair, it actually moved by itself about a foot. This ghost known as Wendy. This is where the pictures will come flying off the wall just I mean we've had so many things break. Daniela Lopez has worked here about a year and seen a lifetime's worth of paranormal activity. There's a mirror that's on the wall there and I just happened to see a little girl in a red dress. Were you like, scared? I was scared yeah. It's not just the little girl she says other souls called this place home. The rocking chair, um, it just immediately seemed as if someone had sat down and just started rocking back and forth. It didn't stop. It didn't seem like, oh, it's just the wind blowing it. It was forcibly rocking back and forth like someone was in it. Inexplicable happening. Just coincidence? Or are lives locked inside these places Deemed Tucson's most haunted. Mm. Alex Dote, News 4 Tucson.
0: Of course, you can find a link to this clip in tonight's show notes. I guess I shouldn't be surprised. It seems that most of these older western towns have some sort of ghostly legend about them. And again, you shouldn't be surprised with all the tragedy, illness, violence that occurred in these places in the old days. Thank you again, Luna, for sharing your story. And I'm not sure if your bar was mentioned in this little news clip, but if it wasn't, it's a shame. It certainly deserves to be included. Now our next story comes to us from the state of North Carolina. The following comes to us from Gia.
4: Hi, this is Tia from North Carolina. I, I just discovered the podcast about a week ago, and I thought I'd call it and share my story. This took place about five years ago, around 2014. And one thing about me is I've always been interested in the paranormal, cryptozoology, all of that stuff, ever since I was a kid. And it's never been a doubt in my mind that, Those types of things exist and they're real. I was also raised in a Christian home and I was always, you know, the, the supernatural basically is just not anything that seems foreign to me or seems out of the ordinary. It's just been a part of my life. I've always had premonitions and things like that. Having dreams is very common in the family. I'll very often have dreams that I don't understand exactly what they mean but then maybe a day or two later, that exact thing that happened in my dream will happen, like, frame by frame. So weird things happen sometimes, but nothing overt, scared, changed during this incident. Um, one particular night, my husband and I were outside. He was my boyfriend at the time. We were outside on our back porch, and he saw some strange lights in the sky. They were in a formation in a triangle formation. There were five of them. They were flashing white and blue. And from where we were standing, they were just dots. We looked at them. We immediately said, oh, those are UFOs. We were a little freaked out, but also fascinated. It lasted for a few minutes, and then they blinked out and disappeared. Probably about three months later, we had moved to another place, And this is in North Carolina. Certain parts of North Carolina, especially where we were, it's really easy to see the sky, you know. And it's just something that I've always done is just kind of sit outside and look at the sky. I was doing the same thing. And I was doing that at our new house. And all of a sudden, I just kind of got a little bit of an anxiety. I didn't know why. I kind of brushed it off. And I went to bed. That night, I... I just remember waking up, but not being able to move. And I've never had an episode of sleep paralysis in my life, but from what everyone has, you know, the stories I've heard in the past stories that my younger brothers who have actually experienced it as children tell me that's what I was experiencing. I woke up, I could not move. I was terrified. The next thing I know I looked towards my bedroom door, it opens up, and it walks to gray aliens. I feel kind of weird and kind of getting flushed just thinking about this right now and kind of talking about it, because the only person I've ever told about it was my husband. Just because it freaks me out so bad. Um, they walk in. They are looked to be about four feet tall, completely gray. Your are stereotypical gray aliens, big head, big eyes. I remember seeing a slip for a mouth and long, skinny arms, And I just remember what I've always been told growing up. If you see something scary, say the name of Jesus and they'll go away. So I immediately start trying to say the name Jesus. And I could not even open my mouth. It's like there was something preventing my mouth from moving. And of course I'm in a state of paralysis. I can see, but I can't move. So I'm just willing myself, forcing myself to say Jesus. And I finally, after what seems like forever, get out a whisper of Jesus. And these things, it's like they were snatched out of my room. Like, it's like they were folded up and literally pulled out of my room. The door slams and I can move. So I was screaming, I was in hysterics, I was crying, boo-hoo crying, and I'm waking up my husband, and he tries to calm me down, but it's not working. And I have never been so terrified of anything in my life, and the feeling I got was so evil from these creatures, I, I have always thought, you know, just from stories I've heard, of people going through similar things, that demons were actual, that aliens were actually demons, um, kind of disguising themselves as these extraterrestrial creatures in order to be more accepted. I've always thought that. I had no proof of that, but that's what I've always thought, and that's kind of what my family taught me as well. So this experience kind of confirmed that in my mind, not to say that there aren't any extraterrestrials out there, but these things were demonic. I knew that if they had made it to my bed when they were creeping towards me, I had no doubt that they wanted to hurt me. And I don't know if I would have been abducted. I don't know. I really don't. But all I know is that when the name Jesus came out of my mouth, these things flew out of my room. And I've never felt like that. I just cannot describe to you the level of terror I have thinking about thinking back to that i've I've experienced some crazy things in my life. My little brother and I have even seen a foot before, and I was not scared like this, but I just wanted to share this. I hope you can uh, you know share this on your podcast and not trying to be extra religious because I'm not even that religious of a person but for nothing more than an experiment. If anyone sees things and they're interacting with you against your will, just say the name Jesus. Just try it because it worked for me. And that's it. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Gia. So I'll be honest here. At least to me, this sounds like a case of sleep paralysis. Gia fell asleep she was asleep, couldn't move. All the signs are there. But even if I am correct in my assessment, it doesn't stop this strange thought from popping in my head. If I were an alien race, was traveling light years across the galaxy, and plucking human beings from the Earth, I think I would try to do it under the cover of something like sleep paralysis. So that even if they did remember, no one would believe them. Even if they failed to wipe out the abductee's memory, they would have the safety net of knowing that there is this disorder that causes the exact same symptoms that their abduction leaves. Now, I realize this is skirting on tinfoil hat territory, but it's also October, so let's shoot for the spooky and see where we land. Now, Jia's case got me a little curious on this, so I had Addy set up a poll on both the Facebook group And main page. For those of you that suffer sleep paralysis. What is your monster? What comes to visit in the dead of night? I can tell you I'm a long time sufferer of the disorder myself. Although it has been several months now. Since I've experienced an episode. But 9 times out of 10. It starts the exact same way. I'm called to someone's home. Someone that's experiencing activity. Activity. They can't explain, and it's escalated to the point where they're literally begging for help. Well, I arrive, and they send me to the back of the house and open a closet door. Inside the closet door is a dark mass. You can make out eyes. You can make out a mouth. But that's about it. The rest is a dark, brooding mass. The entity takes up a majority of the closet, and as I open the door, I'm dwarfed by its presence. And that is when I become speechless, unable to move, as the entity swallows me. It's usually at this point that I awake, completely frozen, waiting for Sarah to finally jar me out of it. I'm not scared anymore. Annoyed, yes, but no longer scared. Repetition is one of the comforts of sleep paralysis. Once you've experienced it a few times, you kind of know what you're in for. So I say all that to say this. I'm certainly not taking away from Gia's experience one way or the other. For all I know, I could be completely wrong in my guess. So thank you, Addy, for putting that little poll together. I'm very curious to see what comes of it. So let's switch gears here a little bit. You guys know I love my ABC calls. My alien big cats. Well, we got one from Texas. But this one's just a little bit different. The following is Jarrett's story.
5: Hi, my name is Jarrett. I am 17 and I'm from Texas. And uh, growing up, I lived in small-town Texas, near Lake Texoma. If uh, people are familiar to Texas, they should know where that is. And I guess I was probably in elementary school. It was the day after school, and I was at the Boys and Girls Club behind the baseball field. Out back, it's all fenced in. Uh, there's these trees, and right up behind it are houses, so it's not like any forest or anything. And I remember I was probably fifth grade, It was hot, so it had to be towards the end of the year. And I I was going up there because we were playing baseball or something, and I just look up, and in the pasture, like right in front of the tree line, just in front of the house behind it, is this... Okay, so growing up in small-town Texas, I can identify the creatures we have. And it was a mountain lion. But this was bigger than any mountain lion i ever seen. It had the typical mountain lion coloration, the kind of tannish brown, kind of darker at the ears. But this thing was taller than me on all fours. And right, I'm fifth grade, I'm not super tall. But I was probably four, five, something like that. This thing was at least taller than that. And I make eye contact with this thing, and it looks through me, it doesn't look at me.
6: Oh my gosh.
5: And I was, uh, so I just kind of, being a kid, I didn't know, like, it was a predator or anything. So I, I turned and ran and tried to go get my friends. And they were like, whatever, you're crazy. And so we went back and looked, and the thing is gone. But we, uh, we went up to where we saw it, being dumb kids. Its footprints were there, but it's like where it was standing when it saw me. It was just, like, gone. And I haven't really been able to explain it, like, why it was so big or why it was in the middle of a Boys and Girls Club lot that had houses around it, so there's no natural habitat for it. And those trees, I've been in those all the time. There's nowhere that it could have had a den or anything. But the weirdest part is that there are no tracks leading away. It was like it had just disappeared. And looking back on it, I can remember that it it had a collar on it, almost as if it was somebody's pet. So, thank you for listening. I love the podcast, and I uh, hope you enjoy. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Jarrett. And this is another one of those cases where I believe I may know what's going on. Jarrett claimed he was 17 years old. He also claimed that this encounter happened when he was in elementary school, which, just to be safe, let's say 10 years ago. I'll come back to that part here in a few minutes. Now, Jarrett claims that the place where he saw the cat could not support that kind of animal. There were no hiding places or places to find food or cover. And then, at the very end, he mentions the collar. So my thought here is that perhaps this is not a mountain lion, but rather a female African lion. He said the cat was huge and stood up to his chest. Well, African lions are massive. A female can stand over three feet tall. And the body style is similar enough. The coat color, similar enough. And at a distance, I could see the confusion between a female African lion and any American mountain lion. Now here's where the dates come into play. For those of you that have listened to the very first episode of the show, you may remember me discussing a massacre in the town of Zanesville in Ohio. The town over from where I grew up. Well, in short, a guy essentially lost his mind and released dozens of tigers, lions, wolves, monkeys, and bears. Unfortunately, law enforcement was outnumbered, and the wooded hills gave plenty of cover for these animals, so they were left with no choice other than to kill them. But due in part to that massacre, regulations have been written to keep people from having wild animals as pets. So my thought here is, this was ten years ago. Laws were a little more lax. Maybe somebody in that apartment complex had a Female lion just happened to get out at the very moment that Jarrett was looking up that hillside. Thank you again, Jarrett, for taking the time to share your story. I hope my little theory sheds a little bit of light on your mystery. Well, up next is that voodoo that I promised. The following is Maggie's call.
7: Hi. I was down in uh, British Virgin Island, Tortola, two years ago. And I was supposed to go with my uh, daughter and I ended up going alone. And from the day I landed, I had the most intense experience of my life. Some could call it very frightening. I, on the other hand, enjoyed it in a weird way. And there's many things that happened on that journey. started off very sick, cried uncontrollably for the First 24 hours in this one bungalow hotel. I checked out there and went to the sugar mill, which is right next to the Boomba Shack. It's near break. It's a wonderful old 300-year-old rum plantation. And they have the old oxen circular pool. Um, This is winter, but it's beautiful down there. This is about, I don't know, I guess midnight. I was coming back up alone. I'm wearing high heels and a sexy dress. I'd gone out with this German couple I had maybe a couple of drinks. We smoked a little cannabis, but other than that, nothing. And so I'm coming along the, the walkway, and I used to know these uh, stones are a ballast stone from Yorkshire, England. When they used to carry the boats back, um, they, would fly, they would sail over empty and then come back with rum and sugar. Well, you know, unfortunately, the history of this island, it was a slave plantation back then in the 1600s and 1700s and so you know many many black people died and there was a carib tribe and then another tribe down there so they weren't just africans these were local people who had a long long you know civilization they invented the term barbecue but they're slaves in this island and i'm coming up the wind is blowing and it's blowing in the reed the like type palm leaves how it makes that sound like and I'm walking along, and all of a sudden, I just, this wind came up, and I just stopped. And I felt like someone was behind me. And the next second, she, I knew it was a she, had put her finger, which was like a steel rod, into the base of my spine. And it stopped me in my tracks. But I wasn't scared. In, in some weird way, I, I said, okay. And I let them in, and I say them, because I got the biggest rush, and I heard all these voices. I I got the biggest rush of love I've ever felt in my life and I, I realized with all the death and all the slavery and the the whipping and the just horrible history of this island, these people had been desperate to set to share love with someone. And so that was the part that was beautiful. But the other part was me saying to this I guess it must have been a voodoo queen that they had a lot of those back when if you do a little uh googling you'll see a lot of times the slaves always had a lady, usually who would be their shaman, and anyway, I said, "Come in." And it really felt like she had put herself in me through my spinal column. And I came home from that trip, and I had the worst anxiety. In fact, I later on that visit, right after this, and weirdly enough, I had one of those Dominican Republic type reactions: dizzy, vomiting, the other end. Sweating and controlled me, my blood pressure through the roof. I I couldn't breathe, couldn't catch my breath. I ended up calling the ambulance at 2 a.m., which was a third world country ambulance ride, and I get to the hospital. He has to Google what's wrong. I don't know. At first, they think it's the cocaine, which I promised I had not touched. And then I think, well, maybe it's because I didn't take this medicine I was supposed to. I left it home. So they ended up giving me a night, you know, giving me some Valium and IV that. Hardly went in, and that was it. And I came, was checked out the next day. So here I've gone through this completely intense paranormal experience, which is not my first, then immediately end up in the hospital. And I survived that. I went on to, wow, well, two years later, I feel like it left something in me. And I've been born again. I believe in Jesus. He's my Savior. But I'm also highly spiritual. And interestingly enough, I have, since I was age 10, dream traveled. And I would I go to sleep at night immediately and in another body, in another universe or, or dimension, really. It's like Earth, only it's completely different. The rules are different and I can fly, elevate, fly. I've been going there since I was 10. So in a way, I think I'm more open to these types of experiences and but it was insane. It was intense and that feeling of love and hearing all those voices that, you know, it just rushed over me. Just the best feeling of love I've ever felt. You know, it was scary. yes, yeah, the whole trip was, you know, getting sick like that. And you there alone in the I, was, I and the man coming up, he's going, what's your next of kin? And I go, what? I didn't understand him, hear their accent. He goes, what's your next of kin? I go, Jessie Lee, my daughter. He gets her number. I said, but she won't call you. She hardly ever answers her phone. I'll be hitting, you know. I'll be sitting here for days. And I was, you know, that I felt I was about to die. And it was definitely a trip I will never forget. And I made the best of it. And the next day I woke up. I felt amazing. I mean, I walked out of that hospital like, whoa, I feel good. Walked around the town, saw my friends that I know there. It's a very cool island. Ferry gets in, it's really affordable. The place to go is the sugar mill in uh British Virgin Islands, the islands of Tortola, next to the Boomba Shack, and they have a big full moon party of the year. So, definitely, this is a story that occurred, and it wasn't my first paranormal experience, and it definitely won't be my last. uh really dig your show, the new listener. Thank you so much. I enjoy your voice too. It's nice, it's very hot. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Maggie. Now, you guys have heard me tell it a hundred times. I am not religious, but that doesn't stop me from realizing the significance of this story. It almost seems as if the person that tapped Maggie on the back of the neck and the ability to remove something, change something within Maggie. Now, it's obvious that I am no medical doctor, but I can't think of too many illnesses that would have her in a hospital for a single day only to have her released the next day feeling, in her words, great. So is it possible that this witch doctor, priestess, shaman, whatever you want to call her, somehow either tapped into or pulled something out of Maggie's spirit or body? A darkness, a weight that she's been forced to carry. An exorcism, if you will. Now this may sound like fantasy, but I have heard some stories over the years about voodoo and the power it has. So I certainly can't say what Maggie experienced here, but I can say I love the story. So thank you again, Maggie, for sharing your story, and thanks for the kind words. Now before I round into the tail end of Tonight's stories, a couple little announcements we need to cover. You guys know all these, so I'm going to breeze through them. Follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Don't forget the Facebook group. You can buy merchandise on the website, monstersamonguspodcast.com. Click on the Shop tab. And if you have a story you would like to share, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. And lastly, don't forget, I'm still looking for hometown legend submissions. So if you guys have one, submit one. Now, back to the program. Some of these calls are quite lengthy tonight, so I'm trying to cut down on the amount of jabbering that I'm doing. Hope it's working. So our next call of the evening comes to us from the state of Virginia. This is one of those calls that take you back to a pastoral time. I just pictured a freshly mowed hayfield. Straw hats. Overalls. You'll see what I'm talking about. This is Daryl's call.
6: Hey, Derek. My name is Daryl, and I live in central Virginia in a small county called Goochland, or Goochland. I've got a couple of stories uh, I, I seem to be susceptible to things that are of not this world. Like I see people moving in the corner of my eye. I'm not, uh, I'm not sure. about what I want to believe but I don't want to be scared if that makes any sense. Uh, I'm trying to think about the time. I was about 10 years old. That's about 45, 46 years ago and about 19... Seventy I remember I was a young right
3: living on a
6: farm We had chicken coops and pigs and cows, and uh my grandmother used to churn butter um It was an awesome way to grow up um, but this particular summer day it was, it was after school was out, there was a glider um on a very pretty day, uh, just flying around. A glider is a, a plane with no engine, He's been pulled by uh, an airplane to fly around. He was flying around in our neighborhood and we noticed him and he crashed in my grandparents' uh, hay field. Uh, I remember this because uh, once he crashed, he was eating a watermelon on my grandmother's porch and the man came up and we served him watermelon and allowed him to use our phone to call, uh, for a pickup and a retrieval of his glider. Well, that in itself is a pretty odd story. I mean, how many times that happened in a person's life, but about dusk area, a trailer and a couple of men drove up to retrieve the airplane or the glider. And I remember being in my grandmother's house with a dog we named Snoopy had a flashlight that was like a ray gun flashlight. He took the little uh color a lens out of it. It just became a regular flashlight. And Snoopy and I went to watch the men retrieve the glider, removing the wings and then taking it back to wherever they stored the uh that particular glider. So, um Anyway, um, I, uh, remember noticing on the horizon as we picked up the, um, glider that there was four distinguishable lights in the shape of a diamond, red, green, blue, and yellow, just just moving in a, a regular pattern, and when you look below across them, and across the field, there was this image of a what looked like a person in a sheet, like a uh, like a Charlie Brown ghost, just jumping around and making these emotions like a ghost. I remember seeing this with my uncle and my brother, and uh, we just kind of hurried back to my parents' house. Uh, I didn't really talk about it because I didn't know how real it was. So the next day, again, this is in the summer, we were playing Cowboys and Indians, which you did back in this particular time of of the world. (laughs) And I remember my mom calling us in for dinner, and I I came in and realized I left my six-shooter or my tomahawk out in the yard and went out to get it, uh, retrieve it. And I remember going out, and looking across the field where I saw this ghost-like figure, and I saw three ghost-like figures, uh, just dancing back and forth, but no lights in the sky like a UFO. I just thought it was really bizarre. I had no explanation for it, it never happened again. But I remember once I retrieved my, my toys, my gun, or my tomahawk, when I got to the front door to get in, the door was locked and I had not locked it. I had to knock on the door for my mom to let me back in the house and we could eat dinner. Uh, it scared me forever. Anyway, I love your podcast. I love that you allow people to tell their stories, real or not real. It's what they see. It's what they believe. I have a few more stories. I think I'm one of these people that are susceptible to like, Things that are other than this world. Uh I will share them at a later date. Hope you have a great day and know that uh I, I can't listen to this this particular podcast at night because it's it's uh too real and too scary. Uh Derek, you're awesome. The Facebook fan page is awesome and I appreciate you taking my call. Have a great day.
5: Thank you, Daryl.
0: This is an interesting story, because I can't really nail it down. Are we talking about UFOs? Are we talking about ghosts? Time slips? What's happening here? And on the other side of the coin, this reminds me a lot of one of the stories that my dad would tell me. And whenever he did, he would describe the 60s and 70s as a time of potential. It almost seemed like anything could happen. And at least in regards to the paranormal world, it did If you look back to the 60s, think of all these sightings. You have the Mothman flap of 1966, Betty and Barney Hill's abduction 61, and of course, the Patterson Gimlin footage of 67. It just seems like, around that time, anything could happen. And that is the same vibe that I get from Daryl's story. So thank you, Daryl, for sharing that tale. Perhaps someone out there listening has some insight on what may have taken place. Before I hit up our last couple, I just realized that I forgot one of my announcements. If you love the show and want more of it, consider joining our Patreon campaign. Simply visit patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. For $4 a month, you get at least two bonus Monsters Among Us episodes. I just released the latest on Monday, and I must say, it was a pretty good one. I should also point out that every person that supports the Patreon page helps us not only keep this program running, but keep it ad-free. So consider your pledge today. And just like on that Patreon episode, I almost forgot to play a Bigfoot call. So to remedy that, here's Nathan from the state of Mississippi.
3: Hey, Derek. This is Nathan from Mississippi. And I have a pretty weird story to tell you that my dad told me back when I was about eight or nine years old. It's a pretty cool Bigfoot story, so I hope you like it. Anyway, my dad lived in Gloucester, Mississippi, from about, I guess, three years old to about when he was 15 until he moved down to where we are now. And he and his friends, about when he was eight or nine years old, used to play up in the hills of Gloucester, Mississippi, because, you know, back then they didn't really care. The parents, at least. So he and his friends used to ride bikes up in the hills and go play hide-and-seek. And And in 1983, he told me that one day his friends and him were playing hide-and-seek in the forest, in those hills, and he saw this big ridge that he knew if he climbed up, he could get a great hiding spot from his buddies. Anyway, so he grabs the first vine he sees, climbs up the hill, and he makes it up and walks around a little bit, trying to find a good hiding spot that he knows his friends wouldn't see him from. Uh, so a little later on, about a few minutes, maybe four minutes later, he looks ahead and sees the most terrifying thing, and this is a quote from him, the most terrifying thing he's ever seen. It was this giant, black, hairy creature that... He said, you cannot see its face. Its its hair was just draped over its face. And he claimed that it scared the crap out of him. It, it, he claimed it stared at him. That's all it did. And the next thing he told me he did was he just dropped everything and ran away. That was everything he did. That was the only thing he did. He never went back in those hills. He told me he told, he told his friends, and his friends didn't believe him. But he told me he never went back up in those hills. Anyway... That's my story. Sorry it's so short, man. But I hope you enjoyed it. Keep doing what you're doing. Anyway, bye-bye.
0: Thank you, Nathan. Now, with Mississippi in mind, I actually received a call several months ago by a man named Mac in Mississippi. Now, Mac had an extraordinary claim about a Sasquatch encounter that he had. But unfortunately... The call's quality was so bad I could barely make out the story. In addition, it seemed to cut off halfway, so I don't have an ending. So Mac in Mississippi, if you're out there listening, please call that story back in. The first half was amazing. Thank you again, Nathan, for collecting that secondhand story and sharing with us. And before I play our final call of the evening, I need to make a correction on last week's episode. You see, at a certain point, I mistakenly said that Indiana only has two area codes. But what had happened is I actually googled the area code the first call came from, and one of the maps that came up showed that area code and lumped all the others into one. So, based on that map, it appeared that there were only two. Obviously, there are several. So with all the additions, subtractions, and corrections out of the way, that leaves us with the final call of the evening. Now the following comes to us from my state of California, albeit much further north. The following is Dominic's submission.
8: Hey Derek, my name is Dominic I'm from California. I'd like to report a Skinwalker account that I have. Interesting thing is, I don't even—I didn't know what a Skinwalker was at the time when I had seen this, but I'll get to that in a bit. But how the story started—I was driving from California to Canada. Um, I went to school up in Canada for a few years, and I'd often make this drive uh, by myself. And it was a drive I've made quite a few times, and I was making this drive in August, uh, to return back to school. And as I was going, I had, uh, I was in Nevada and I had gotten, uh, I was between Elko and Wells, which is pretty much in the middle of nowhere. Uh, at the time I had to use a roadmap to find out where we were going. So you didn't have iPhones back then. I didn't even have a cell phone actually. And I was in my 2004 focus and I was about 19 years old. And this was, uh, in 2005. So it's quite a few years ago. But I was driving down the road and there's hours and hours that go by where you see nothing. There's just nothing on the road and no people, uh, no lights. It's uh, just just darkness. And I remember the night that night was particularly dark. Um, I don't know I don't remember whether it was a moonless night or not, but I just remember it being very dark, but the skies were clear. And uh, as I was driving, uh, I have my high beams on because there are no other vehicles. Uh, I noticed up in the distance on the right-hand side of the road uh, a pair of glowing eyes. And I remember being very excited uh, to actually see something. Uh, I'm an animal lover, and I always like checking out animals. And I thought I was coming up on some sort of animal in, in the Nevada desert. <clears throat> so as I was pulling up, I was going about 80 miles an hour. Um, I started to slow down considerably. And I got to about 15 miles an hour. And I started to pull over on the side of the road because these eyes were right on the fog line. And as I was getting closer to this thing, I was trying to decide what it it was. And at first I thought it was maybe a large cat because of the glowing eyes. But then I noticed uh, this thing was like pure white, like milk. And the white reminded me of like a, a snow rabbit, but it was way too big to be a rabbit. And another thing that made me think it was a rabbit was at first when I saw it moving this thing almost looked like it did a hop Uh, but as I drove closer I saw that this thing was probably a 100 feet away by now it had no ears uh, no distinguishable face features other than just eyes giant glowing eyes and it had arms like a human and it was moving kind of like a chimp does where it kind of put its knuckles on the ground and, and scoot forward. And it was moving pretty slowly, but it was just moving its hands forward and, and kind of pushing its weight on its hands and lifting its uh, knees and back legs off the ground and scooting forward. It didn't pay me any attention. It didn't mind me at all. It just stayed on the fog line and it was just moving forward. And the second I realized that I'd never seen anything like this and it's, It was unsettling to me, because it wasn't natural. So, in my car, I started yelling to myself, because I was so scared. I was like, what the hell is that, you know? And I accelerated as fast as I could, and I was driving a stick shift at the time, and I threw the thing in second gear and just punched it and tried to take off. And... I'll just never forget, though, the, the, the milky skin and the, the giant eyes, but it had no nose, it had no mouth, it had no ears. It was just, it was just flesh, no fur, nothing, and it was just moving on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I accelerated and got out of there, and, you know, I was pretty far away from it, but the entire trip, up into Canada, I, I couldn't shake the feeling like this thing was somehow behind me. And, uh, but yeah, it it really freaked me out. So I told people about it and, you know, nobody really, uh, believed me at the time or they just thought, well, that's strange. This being had no features at all. Like I said, no nose, no mouth, no ears. And I had such a good uh, view of it for long enough where I have no doubt that the thing wasn't a cat, it wasn't a rabbit, it wasn't a gorilla, it wasn't a hairless animal. That, I mean, the arms were long, the legs were long, it was on its knees, and like I said, that, that white skin. So, years later, um, this was quite a few years later, I was working construction, I was a I was a manager, and we were working night shift and I was in my truck listening to some nighttime radio. I came across a AM station that was talking about this thing called the Skinwalker. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting name. And there's people just, you know, talking about where this thing's at. And I don't really remember exactly what they were saying, but I uh, got on my phone and I Googled Skinwalker images because I wanted to see what this thing looked like. And, uh, the first image that popped up was a creature that looked just like the thing I saw on the side of the road. I mean, the white skin, the giant eyes, the long, the long arms, uh, very gaunt. And I mean, it just sent a chill through my body and I just, I said, this is it. This is it. Um, my wife, who, uh, at the time I was dating her in college, she was my college sweetheart, I had told her about the thing I saw on the side of the road. And she just said, Wow, that's weird. Um But when I when I saw this image years later and this name Skinwalker, I showed her, I said, This is the thing I saw. Um the picture that I saw uh that it was taken from like a a deer cam or something. Uh, this thing had a mouth, and it looked like maybe a hole where the nose is. The thing I saw didn't appear to have those, so that was the only difference. I wasn't a big believer in the paranormal. I'm s- I'm still not, to be honest. Uh, I don't know what I believe. But that night, I just know that I saw something that I I've- I, haven't seen uh, ever before, and I haven't seen since, except in that picture. It, Like I said, it left me with just an unsettling feeling. And to be quite honest, uh, <laughs> if I were to ever be driving in the desert again by myself, I'd be on edge a little bit worried about this thing being out there. So that's my Skinwalker story. Thanks for the podcast. I actually do enjoy it, even though I'm not a believer in the paranormal and everything else. But it is fun to hear everyone's story. So thank you.
0: Thank you, Dominic. This is probably the fourth or fifth white creature submission that I've received. Possibly even more than that, now that I'm thinking about it. And each time, somebody claims that it's something different. I've heard people say it's the rake, or a demon. A sasquatch. Goblin. And now, skinwalker. I'm beginning to realize that this is a regional thing. The story out of Alabama was... Described as a demonic entity, I believe. Which makes sense. It's a very religious part of the country. I remember a call from the Indiana area. and I don't believe the caller said outright that he thought it was a Bigfoot. But I somehow got that cue, even though it was unspoken. And now here we are, in the west. In the land of the Skinwalker. And Dominic sees this creature that he associates with the skinwalker. Now by no means am I saying that any one of these people are wrong. But what I am saying is perhaps all these are connected. Is it possible that there is a undiscovered, unknown race of white, humanoid looking creatures? Maybe subterranean. Perhaps they live in caves deep under the earth and only come out at night. Or better yet. They only come out when they have to. I obviously have no evidence to support any of this, other than the claims that we've collected. But again, it's October, so why not? A big thank you to Dominic again for sharing that story. I love tales like that. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Warren Pon Abbott, Addie Lloyd, and Tony Bell. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And the music you're hearing, that's coag music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. So speaking of strange white creatures, tonight's bonus submission comes from John. Hi Derek, my name is John, I've been listening to your podcast for a few days now, and something on Season 5, Episode 15 caught my attention. I too have witnessed a pale, gaunt humanoid figure running on all fours and upright on separate occasions, and also, due to my work, I prefer to remain anonymous. Here are my experiences. On two separate occasions, I have seen a figure similar to the ones described in your Season 5 episode. I was living in the state of Indiana at the time, although both encounters took place in separate towns. The first was in Evansville, a city on the bank of the Ohio River just across from Kentucky. It was around dusk, maybe 7 or 8 p.m. I was a sophomore in high school, and I remember wearing short sleeves, so it was probably sometime in the late spring of 2012. My mother was driving me back home from someplace. We were on the Lloyd Expressway going west, and there's a mosque that we were passing, and as I looked in that direction, I saw something on the ground. For a brief moment, it was still and hunched over in a squatting position, with its back facing the road, but then it snapped its head back as we passed by and then the blink of an eye it darted toward the few trees south of the road. It all happened quickly but I saw the creature long enough for me to get a decent mental picture of it. Its head was definitely humanoid and had a thin mouth and eyes. If it had a nose or ears they weren't visible from that distance or in that lighting. And as the previous witness had said its back was flat. It was on all fours but had hands and feet from what I could see. Its limbs didn't appear designed for a quadruped. It was like when a person tries walking on all fours. It's a little awkward and stilted, but that didn't seem to affect the speed of the creature. Now I am sure the experience could be explained somehow, but I can't think of an animal that would look anything like that, and I can't think of any reason why someone would be crouched by a busy expressway painted pale white and completely nude. It also doesn't explain how I saw the same thing two years later and over a hundred miles away. It was the beginning of summer and I was at the end of my senior year. I graduated from high school about a hundred miles north of Evansville in 2014 in a town with a lot of folklore and urban legends. There was a cemetery not far from our town located in neighboring Clay County called 100 Steps Cemetery. There's some local lore about the cemetery, so we decided to poke around. Harmless summer fun for a bunch of teenagers. There was about a dozen or so of us there. Four of us, including myself, walked up to the steps and hung out for a bit, laughing about the lore surrounding the cemetery. We eventually got bored and decided to walk down the steps. About halfway down, one of my friends waiting for the four of us to come down called my name, while facing up the road toward the direction we drove from him. I replied as we walked up to his side and he looked over at me, horrified. Another friend came up behind me. We all three looked down the road and saw a white figure jump down from the cemetery hill through the trees and landed, standing almost straight up. It was fully white and looked nearly identical to what I saw in Evansville. The only difference was this creature was bipedal and much more white. I noticed its hands had what looked like three long fingers, but to be honest it was dark and I could be mistaken. I'm positive what I saw can't be easily explained away. It stood there looking at us for maybe a second, then sprinted into the nearby cornfield. The three of us who saw it ran to the cars telling the rest of our group to get in as well. Again, it was dark and we had already spooked ourselves a little bit, but it wasn't someone from our group playing a trick on us. We were all accounted for after we parked at the nearest gas station, and nobody knew where we were going. The only explanation that could be possible would be for someone to be waiting for a random group of people to come by, just for a laugh, but that doesn't seem very likely either. I haven't encountered anything like this since, or heard anyone else who has seen anything similar until listening to your podcast. I am glad someone else has had a similar sighting. Love the show, John. P.S. I have attached two maps depicting the areas where I was in relation to the creature. I also provided a picture of 100 Steps Cemetery to give you an idea. I found out that the steps were removed and replaced with a ramp just last year. Thanks again, John. Thank you again, John. And for you guys listening... I highly suggest you go back to Season 5, Episode 15, and check out that white humanoid story. Thanks again, John, for sharing that story, and thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Have a great night.